step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice and this special episode of our Reply Brief series, where I'm breaking down the Prosecutor's Podcast coverage of the Anan Syed case. In their part six, they spent about 40 minutes talking about two letters that Asia McLean wrote to Adnan while he was in jail, which they claim the second one they 100% know that Adnan himself wrote and that Asia was helping him to manufacture an alibi. As I mentioned last week, I'm going to be joined today by Asia herself, so we can hear directly from her what those letters were all about. We're also going to talk a little bit about how things went at the PCR hearing in 2016, and mostly I just want to give Asia an opportunity to defend herself, because unlike Brett and Alice, Asia has always had the courage to go on any public forum and defend her letters and defend what she knows and defend her testimony. But real quick, before I bring Asia on, I do want to circle back to something we talked about last week. I had asked several listeners if they could give me any information about the length of Hayes' skirt. And I did have a few listeners send me screenshots from the HBO documentary where we see a picture from evidence of Hayes' skirt where it's not on her body, where it's stretched out. And it is, in fact, a long skirt. So I want to make sure that's clear. So it was a long skirt. I don't I don't know. I've heard somebody call it an A skirt or a pencil skirt, but it's it's kind of a long, flowy black skirt that goes, I would say, probably down to the calf level. But another listener, Richard, he brought up a good point. I don't know if this was the point he was intending to make, but he started a conversation that led us down this path. I had mentioned last week, or I think I did, that Hay was found in one skirt, but there was a short skirt, like a mini skirt, found in her car that day. It was in the inventory, the evidence inventory from when they found her car. Now, I didn't think a whole lot about that until in that thread that Richard had started, several of our female listeners pointed out that they themselves had strict parents back when they were in high school, and it was extremely common for them to wear one thing out the door and then change in their car into the clothes they wanted to wear at school, but then change back before they went home. Now, I want to make sure I'm clear that I'm not saying that this is what Hay did. And I'm not even talking about this in regards to the validity of Inez's statement, but just something to think about, because there's always the question of, if not Adnan, then who and how and where? Well, when this conversation got going, the thought came up that Hay did have pretty strict parents. So if she was wearing a short skirt at school, 
What if she pulled over somewhere to change out of her short skirt into the long skirt before she picked up her cousins and went home? Just something to think about. We can talk about that more next week. But before I got into Asia, I wanted to make sure that we put a button on that conversation from last week. So the skirt she was found in was a longer skirt. There was also a much shorter skirt found in her car. So we'll continue to talk about that as we move along with the case. But I wanted to put a button on that. And now let's get right into it. I'm joined today by the woman you know as Asia McLean. All right, here we are. I am joined uh, by the woman herself. Asia Chapman, as I mentioned in the intro, you guys know her as Asia McLean, but she is she is Asia Chapman. And uh, the biggest reason that I wanted to bring you on here, Asia, is because something that I've always admired about you. I was sitting in the courtroom in 2016 when you were testifying, when you were, how many months pregnant were you? What was that, February? So I was probably like six months, like five to six months pregnant. Pregnant enough, they probably didn't feel like sitting on that witness stand for eight hours a day. <laughs> No, although sitting outside of the courtroom was much worse because I was sequestered. I had to be at the courthouse and I had to sit outside the courthouse on this hard wooden bench, me and my husband, the whole day. And I didn't get called to testify because they ran late. Yeah. And so that was a whole lot worse because you see people like coming in and out and you can't talk to anybody. You have no idea what's going on. Exactly. It was very nerve-wracking to just have to sit there and wait. One thing that I started to say, what I, what I admire about you is, so this story goes, back in 1999, Adnan gets arrested. And from my understanding, you weren't super close friends with Adnan. You just kind of knew each other from school, right? Correct. Yeah. So So he gets arrested, and you see that he was arrested on that day. You remember, wait a minute, I saw him in the library that day, and you write him a letter in the jail. You go see his family. You write another letter just letting him know, hey, I remember seeing you in the library. My boyfriend does too. And then as far as you know, that's the end. Of it. Nothing ever comes to that. Correct. And then after Adnan gets convicted, Rabia contacts you uh, because, it, which the whole thing is so bizarre because, because at trial, the state says Adnan had killed Hay and called Jay to pick him up by 236, which has no basis in any evidence anywhere. But all of a sudden, him being with you after school was like a really big deal then. So she goes to talk to you. You confirm that, yeah, that's you do remember seeing him. You write the affidavit. And then that, that's the end of that for a while. Then came the whole controversy with Yurik when you were when uh, you were going to. No, you were, you were was the deal that you were you were supposed to testify in a PCR or you were or they wanted you to. No, they um, I never knew what they wanted from me because a private detective showed up at my house. And spoke to my husband and uh, it's, he was coming in the house with some belongings. So, so he had the person wait outside. He came upstairs and he literally said to me, there's someone outside looking for you by your maiden name, maiden name. And I think it has something to do with that girl that got, that you told me that got murdered when you were in high school. So I just said, pretend like I don't live here. And just talk to them and find out what they what they want. And so I never spoke to that person directly. And I, I didn't reach out to the defense. I remember I went online to try to find out like who exactly was involved with the case. I didn't see any mention of the business, the person on the business card that I had. But I did find reference to Kevin Yurick. So I looked him up 
and I called him directly because in my mind at the time, I was naive. And I thought that if anyone's going to tell me what's going on with no influence with, you know, right. it would be the prosecutor because I, I figured that if I called the defense, you know, they would say whatever they had to say to get me to cooperate. And I wanted to make sure that I wasn't being involved in something, you know, shady. And so I, I figured that calling the prosecutor would be calling someone who would give me the facts not try to influence me one way or the other, especially considering the case was, you know, at this point, what, 10 years? It had been 10 years. And so when I called Yurik, the first thing he said to me was, normally I wouldn't talk to you about this case, but I'm no longer the prosecutor. And so for me, that was reassurance that he didn't have a dog in the fight. Right. And that anything he told me was going to be truthful because, you know, it wasn't his case. He wasn't involved. And so he asked me, he said, hold on a second. Let me look at my computer. And he came back and he said, you know, I don't see anything in the system. So I don't know why they would be reaching out to you. And then that is when I told him who I was. Okay. And then from that point on, he proceeded to Give me, quote unquote, information about the case. Tell me that there was DNA. Tell me that there was fingerprints. And, you know, just basically he reassured me in the idea that this was not something I needed to get involved with. Like they for sure had a solid case against Adnan. He's definitely mm -hmm. guilty. And to boot, you know, that there was nothing in the, the computer, the court system, as he portrayed. That would indicate why they would even need to speak to me, which is crazy to me because at some point he got wind of something because he actually testified in that PCR. Right. So it makes me wonder if my phone call to him alerted him of the PCR and he strategically encouraged me not to participate so that he could go and testify the way that he did. And the way that he did was to characterize that phone call as you calling him, telling him that Adnan's family and Rabia was was pressuring you to yes. write an affidavit and all that. And and from what I've heard you testify to, that none of that's true. Correct. So then, so that's what around two thousand nine, two thousand ten, and then things go quiet again. Then all of a sudden, cereal comes out. Well, well, first Sarah Koenig contacted. Did she did she talk to you before the podcast started airing? Yeah, way before. I think it was, I want to say April, and Cyril didn't come out until what, October? Yeah. So she sent me an email to my business email account, and I ignored it. And then I got a letter sent to my house from her. And then that's when I kind of was like, okay, like, here is somebody else tracking me down to my residence. Like, what the heck is going on? I need to address this because obviously these people would just keep hunting me down. You know, that's how I felt at the time. And so I reached out to her. But the funny thing is, is I didn't want to confirm that she had my address. So I told her I was reaching out to her because I saw the email. Okay, you're right. <laughs> and, um, and so she just called me one day and she just, she said, you know, I've been looking at this case and 
I have this affidavit that you wrote. And so she asked me questions about it. And she asked me, she told me she was putting together a story. And um, even in email, it was always, I'm writing, I'm, I'm doing a story. And so back then I thought she was doing just like a news article or written piece. I had no idea that she was doing a, a podcast. I didn't even know what a podcast was in what, 2014. I had no idea. And so it was funny because I talked to her for maybe a day or two. And I remember at one point she had, she said, um, the audio that I have of you is not the best quality. And she wanted to re-record my interview. And I had always assumed that when she initially asked to record the interview, that it was for notation purposes. Right. And so I, I thought it was weird, but I said, okay, yeah, you can re-record it if you want to. And then she started asking me if I, if I could call into a studio and that kind of sent off some alarms yeah. because I'm like, okay, this is really weird. Do you want me to call into a recording studio so you can record what I told you just a couple of weeks ago, you know, for notation purposes. And so I got weirded out and I just ghosted her. Okay. And so I never got any information from her about what she was specifically doing. She addressed herself as someone with this American life, but I didn't even look into them. I didn't know what it, they were. I didn't know that they had a podcast or anything like that. I just assumed it was a news organization. Yeah. And so I had ghosted her like completely. And then all of a sudden, one day, my phone just starts blowing up. I have phone calls and direct messages from people. And people are like, oh, my God, I'm listening to you. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And that's how I found out about Serial. I didn't know. I didn't understand what was going on. Someone sent me the link to the website. I go to the website. And the first thing I see is the alibi. And I'm like, oh, crap. Like, what is this? And I start listening and immediately pause it. And I called my husband who was out of town freaking out. And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I've heard the same story from other people. Too. Like uh, Krista, I remember, said the exact same thing. She's like, I had no idea it was for, a, I didn't, you know, I thought I was doing like a written piece when she did her interview. Yeah. And then all of a sudden she's like, well, there's my voice on a podcast. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, and I went through a little bit of a, um, a grieving stage with that, you know, um, I even sent Sarah like the nastiest email once, like just saying, you know, you tricked me and how dare you. Yeah. And she basically said, well, I told you I worked with these people. And I was like, well, it doesn't mean I knew, you know, <laughs> right. I don't know what a podcast is. It's 2014. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, so it's just, and you know, I, I got past all that because, you know, at the end of the day, it was my responsibility to look into like what I was participating in. And so I just look, I chalk it up to a miscommunication at the end of the, the day. But in the, in the moment, um, that was, that was awful. That was, that was an awful experience. Yeah. Well, and, and that's a good point for the people that, because you've, you have dealt with some of the harshest online attacks because uh -huh. of your involvement in this case. And when, and people will say that 
you just want attention and you would like you made concerted efforts because we've spoken about this before and concerted efforts over the years to stay the hell out of this. Like you were, <laughs> you were drug into this kicking and screaming yeah. and not by Adnod's family, but by reporters and Yurik and all and everybody yeah. else. And, you know, to be honest, I've thought like, I thought about it a hundred times. Like if Sarah had said, do you want me to keep your name out of this? I probably would have been like, yeah, you know, I would prefer if you didn't, you know, but I didn't really get that opportunity. It was literally, I clicked on something on the internet. My name is there. I'm being talked about. My voice is there. And it's just like, now you got to deal with that. You know? Yeah. I always laugh and and tell friends, hey, I I went viral by accident. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And now here it is nine years later and you still have podcasters calling you to talk to you. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You, you did that interview with Sarah. And then you end up now, you you get the full picture, right? You You hear... Yurik saying what he testified to about that conversation. So what, how did that go from there? Did you then reach out to the defense? Did they reach out to you? No. Um, the first, when I heard it, I was furious. And the first person I called was Sarah. Uh huh. I'm trying to remember if I called her or if I sent her a message, I think I called her. And during that time I, I was, I was panicking because I even, I remember I even told her, how dare you make me the linchpin of this whole situation? That's not why I talk to you. I'm not trying to be the center of attention with when it comes to this. Like all I did was like tell you what happened and, you know, cause it was, it was part of that. I didn't know you were doing this conversation. Yeah. And so I was literally like testing and fussing at her and I, she's just like, wait, 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 what, what do you mean? You didn't say that to Kevin York. And I remember I like, she just cut me off and I'm just like, what do you mean? What do I mean? Right. I mean, I never said that to him. 
And she said, and so she clarified, like, so you never told him this and you never told him that. And I'm like, hell no. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, oh my God. And her first response was, can I put this in the, in the next episode? Because I think this was, because also my, like I said, my husband was out of town. So I paused it, called him and I did not finish cereal that day. I waited for my husband to come back into town. And then we binged it in like nine hours. And so by the time I had that conversation with Sarah, it was, I want to say two days before the final episode. Mm -hmm. And so her first response was, oh my God, can this is major. Can I put this in the, the last episode, in the next episode? And I, and I told her, I said, I'm not really comfortable because that was when I, you know, I found out through Serial what Kevin York had testified to, um, that he even was ever, you know, re-involved in the case. And so I'm thinking, okay, it goes from now I'm this alibi. Now I have this prosecutor who testified that I said these things that I didn't say. And so I'm, I'm coming at this from two different perspectives. You know, not only am I introducing information about the whole alibi situation, but I'm also coming at this from a protective status as a person who realizes that they were misrepresented in a court of law right? by Kevin Urich. And so I was, I was scared, mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of scary to think like you have to go against someone who's quote unquote, an upstanding citizen in the legal community. And, you know, and I'm just a mom. I'm just, I'm just here with my, my two kids at the time, you know, like that's not something that I wanted to be involved in either. Right. But I was so mad that after talking to Sarah, you know, she said, you probably want to get a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. You know, just the one who has your own, your back. And so that's kind of how I went about finding my own personal attorney that accompanied, accompanied me to the PCR in 2016 and helped me navigate the defense and the prosecution because it was, it was a scary time for me because I felt totally exposed to the public. I saw a lot of negativity on online, you know, regarding my involvement. And it was just, it was just a scary, I just remember I was just, I was in panic mode, like nonstop from like the day I found out about cereal until like, even after I testified in 2016, it was just like paranoia and panic. So how did you get to testifying? Did your lawyer reach out to Adnan's lawyer? Or did they reach out to you? So I reached out to Sarah. I found an attorney. I told the attorney what was going on and they asked me what I wanted to do. and. Um, I believe they reached, he reached out to Justin and that's when I wrote my affidavit and I agreed to like retestify to, uh, my alibi and the situation with Europe. So, yeah. And that's what I was getting at at the beginning is this was a super uncomfortable situation for you, but when push came to shove, you were willing to stand up for your truth that you is awful. And, and as I said, I was there and I'm sure your testimony, the way that you were treated by the state during your testimony and cross-examination was awful. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen in a courtroom, but you 
went there and you did it and you and you and you told your truth and and let that stand and that's something that that a lot of people don't have the guts to do when you were there can you talk about what what was that experience like cuz i can only talk about from what it seemed like from where i was at what was that experience like for you getting on the stand to just tell them what you know and then facing that cross examination honestly i think i was in shock through a lot of it just because of how nervous I was. Because I don't have any experience with courts outside of that. I think I may have gotten a traffic ticket once, you know. <laughs> but outside of that, uh, I don't think I've ever been in, in a courtroom. And so to be there under that kind of scrutiny was very uh, nerve-wracking. and. But I look back on it now and it's, I think it's, it was awful because like I said, I was sequestered. So I had no idea what was going on. And I actually met Vignaraja in the lobby uh, before he ever um, cross-examined me, before I was ever on the stand. And he came across as very friendly to me and shook my hands and then you know when I got on the the stand it was just like I'm going to portray you to be the most awful lying person in the world you right. know <laughs> and it was just like oh okay so this is and, and luckily I had people that told me that he was backstabbing you know that he was a conniving person and like not to trust him uh people in the legal community actually believe it or not people who have worked with him before so i talked to my lawyer about it and we offered to get together with him before that so that he could ask me any questions that he had and and he declined my offer to speak with me before testifying um i offered the defense and and vignaraja the same opportunity and it was interesting to to see him in his element, because like I said, he presented himself one way. And then even after the, the, the testimony, even after the PCR, you know, he, his attempt to demonize me the way that he did was, it was truly awful. And um, so when I think back about that experience, I just think about the immense weight that I felt. I mean, because to me, testifying was a matter of a of a man's life. Mm -hmm. I had someone's life hanging over my head in that courtroom because however I answered was going to be a reflection of who I was as a person in my character. And it had an, an influence on Anand's life, his freedom, right. you know, and so. I just, I just remember just feeling very, very, very nervous because I felt a huge weight on me, you know? Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. But. It it does. <laughs> and like I said, from watching it, I was, I was angry at the way, like I came across very bullying the way that, that Vignaraja was cross-examining oh, yeah, definitely. You. Definitely. And there were a lot of times where I felt like his questions were very misleading. I felt like he was purposely trying to get me to say things 
that were just misleading so so that he could paint a narrative yeah and and i felt like instead of just asking for the truth he was trying to manufacture a story and that that's exactly how it seemed and it got so ugly i mean it was during your your testimony i think uh, justin brown who's was adnan's attorney i mean there were shouting matches where justin was standing because of the way that theory was treating you where he was objecting to the way he was harassing you and everything it was it was i've i've seen and read a lot of trial transcripts and i've been in the courtroom for i've never seen yeah. anything like that before my it was so well he would ask me the same question like over and over again right as if my answer would change or he would try to reposition the same question in a different way mm-hmm. to try to influence me to like answer a different way and i do remember justin brown a lot of times objection uh, uh, saying objection asked and answered yeah. you know it was it was a very manipulating um type of experience. I, I really truly felt like he was trying to manipulate my testimony and try to get me to like to just paint a narrative that just didn't exist. Yeah. Uh, now we're going to talk a little bit about the the prosecutors podcast series where they 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 talk about you. And in this week we're covering episode six, um, which you said you just listened to some of it. Um, in a later episode, so. they, they talk yeah. <laughs> In a later episode, they talk about this PCR hearing and to kind of give my listeners a little spoiler, like they come just like everything else. They completely misrepresented that because while Thiru Vignaraja was hammering away at you and as awful as that was, you handled it like it's amazing how easy it is when you have the truth on your side because you whatever was going on internally, you you didn't see that like you were you were very you seemed very comfortable. You were answering all his questions. Justin Brown had had put up after after Thero hammered away at you about all this and where did this come from and you said this yeah. and you got the address wrong and all that. And then Justin just sets the newspaper article from the day Adnan was arrested in front of you where it said central booking. That's right. Where it said the address, uh, the, you know, the, the address you wrote on the letter was the address from the newspaper article. All of it made perfect sense. Yeah, and it, I mean, it wasn't even a question. And you and I, I talked about it on my podcast. You and I talked about it a little bit before we started recording. How silly this argument is to begin with, because it. it well, I'll let you describe because you just said you just had an interaction with somebody in Twitter where you were talking about the fact that these letters wouldn't have been evidence. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I was saying to you earlier, you know, I get so angry and I get caught up in these silly arguments with these trolls and. Sometimes I have these bonehead epiphanies (laughs) (laughs) and like I said, I was arguing with someone last week and this person is just like, you know, talking about the letters and how they would have uh, fared in in court. And and I thought to myself, wait a minute, these these letters would not be evidence had there been a trial, had I been Anon's actual alibi, you know, at trial, like... (laughs) So to suggest that the prosecution would somehow have useless letters against me is ridiculous because they would have never received knowledge of those letters. They, right. You know, the defense would have been under no, not been obligated to submit those to the prosecution as, as any sort of evidence. Right. 
you know, in the best the best case scenario, you know, Anand would have received the letters, told his attorney, which I instructed him to do in the letters. Yeah. And someone would have reached out to me, you know, and you, but you and you think about it between telling his family um, or whoever I spoke to at his house that night and coming home and writing a letter, which his attorney eventually saw. It's crazy that no one ever reached out to me. Right. And it's it's crazy to, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, it was strategy. Well, strategy is to interview the alibi and then determine whether or not you want to use it. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not strategic to just not even evaluate the information at all. Yeah. Just completely ignore it. And, and I just wanted yeah. just to have you to be able to, to get the record straight. Since Adnan has been arrested, you wrote those two letters. Other than you writing those two letters, how much contact have you had with Adnan? None. Absolutely none. He never wrote you back? No. And I was actually just telling a person today that when I wrote those letters, I felt like I was putting messages in a bottle and throwing it into the ocean. I... I don't even know if I ever really expected that he would ever even read them. Uh -huh. I, I guess I hoped that he would, but when I never heard anything back, it just so seemed like, oh, well, I said what I said, and apparently it wasn't of any value, so never heard anything. For 10 years. For 10 years. Even since he's been out, have you guys had any contact since he's been out of prison? No. Nothing no, at all? None at all. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So with that being said, I, I want to real quick play. I played a longer version of this for my audience last week. But I just want to play it for you because I want you to be able to, if you want to, respond. Because you've dealt with a ton of online criticism and you've dealt with a lot of a lot of stuff. Every time you have the guts to come do an interview like this, then you end up getting blasted on social media. Oh, yeah. What really... Well, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword, you know. Um, I'm not allowed to uh, speak out. Otherwise, I'm trying to get attention. You know, <laughs> it's ridiculous. And it should be pointed out. I reached out to you. You didn't reach out to me to to do this interview. <laughs> hey, and it also should be pointed out that you're not paying me for this. Oh, right. Because yeah. that's another one that I get. <laughs> oh, that you're being paid for interviews. Yeah. Yeah. That I'm like making money for these interviews and I've never, ever been paid for an interview, nor have I ever asked to be paid. Right. So what really got me about this, what I'm going to play here is, is this is not just online Twitter. So this is a podcast called The Prosecutors. These are two working prosecutors. They're they're active lawyers. And they have, according to what they posted on social media, that they got 300,000 downloads from these episodes. Mm -hmm. So they took 
a very large platform, put themselves out as an expert. And this is just a couple clips of their breakdown of the second letter that you wrote to Adnan. So I just want you to hear that and then you can comment on it if you'd like. Okay. Does everybody understand what happened here? (laughs) So Asia sends her first letter, right? Adnan gets that letter. He reads the letter. He then writes a letter for her to send back to him that he's going to use. I mean, this is 100% what happened. Like, people can disagree with me and say I'm speculating all they want. This is 100% what happened. He wrote the letter. They faked the date so it would seem like that's not what happened, right? But there's no way she sent this letter to him one day later. Basically, he had her backdate it to the day after her initial letter was addressed. He had her include things that he thought were good arguments for him, like, the fact that how could he have moved the car around without someone to help and all that other stuff. There are no markings on you. Wouldn't she have struggled? Like all that stuff. Like he wrote all this. He sent it to her. She typed it up and she sent it back to him. How significant is it? I mean, look, if Adnan's innocent, he doesn't want to go to jail for the rest of his life. And he sees Asia as a possible get out of jail free card. And she's so obviously manipulatable. You know, maybe some of the stuff is stuff she just threw in there, but the important parts, the parts where she's sort of highlighting the problems, I think are things that Adnan had asked her to say in this written letter. And then he turns the letters over to his attorneys. They knew if we put this person up, we show this letter where she's basically begging, you know, to help him manufacture an alibi. Then the prosecution puts up Jawan Gordon, who says, yeah, he totally had her write that second letter. All that's going to be really bad for Adnan. So a smart lawyer wouldn't use Asia. Since she had handwritten him a letter, why didn't he send back a letter and have her handwrite it back? Like how, how lazy, you know, (laughs) was it? It is pretty hilarious. He's a pretty smart guy because in the first letter, remember the handwritten letter when Asia spells Adnan's name correctly. And then she writes in parentheses, I hope I spelled it right. But in the type letter, it's spelled A-D-N-O-N incorrectly <laughs> so you know if he did do that it's really it's it's almost like he's looking at her letter and being like she doesn't really know how to spell my name that's this is perfect because i wouldn't misspell my own name so a misspelling here is gonna throw off the cops your your facial expressions during that are priceless <laughs> feel free because, to share your thoughts like on one hand It makes me very mad. And on the other hand, I can't stop laughing because these people are idiots. (laughs) Like, oh, 100%. That's 100% what happened. Like, uh, no, it's not. (laughs) Right. At all. Oh, I mean, I just, I don't even know where to start. Like, um, okay. So first off, uh, my house was second house from the corner in my neighborhood on the corner uh-huh. there was a mailbox and so when i wrote the letters i like remember putting them in the mailbox because my bus stop was directly across the street from that mailbox so i literally left my house put the letter in the mailbox and walked across the street to the bus stop and it's just i don't know it's just the whole thing is just it's so nutty i don't know if it's because of the movies that we have nowadays or the fact that kids are like way more advanced than we were, you know, back then. Um, Kids are like a lot more heinous these days, but I think a lot of people see when they, when they look at this case, they see it as a movie. They see us as characters and not actual real 
teenagers like back then, you know? And it's like, number one, why? Like I posted on Twitter today, a photo of me um, in high school and I was an athlete. I got good grades. I knew tons of people. I say, you know, that I, I consider myself like that I was popular in high school because I knew a lot of different people from different groups. Mm -hmm. um, Woodlawn was kind of weird in the sense that we didn't have like a select group of kids that were like super popular, like in the movie. But pretty in general, all the athletes were popular students. They were all well known. And I think it's ridiculous the idea that a student like that would interject themselves into a situation based off of a lie and considering you know i didn't know and on i had no reason to there was no reason for me to to do something like that and and on the scale of this fake letter campaign and Adnan sitting in jail writing me to to instruct me to do it's ridiculous and backdate the letter to make sure yeah, that it looks like, yeah. It, it's ridiculous. And I don't understand why people have such a hard time digesting the idea that I wrote a letter and followed it up with another letter the next day. Mm -hmm. And I don't understand how specifically they think it's um, not reasonable that I would have additional questions in that second letter. And I don't think that anything that I asked in the second letter is out of the question for me to have pondered based upon the, the amount of gossip that was going on at school. Mm -hmm. I mean, I even talk about the gossip in the letter. Right. And I just think it's, it, honestly, I think those two are, regardless of what they may have accomplished professionally, um, just based upon that one episode, they're idiots. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't feel like you need to pull any punches with them because they, there's the part like, yeah. just like you, there's part of it that makes me mad. Part of it that it's funny how off base they are. But then I go yeah. back to like, but they just did a very real thing. They just publicly said that they 100% know that you committed perjury. Yeah. And they laughed while they're doing it. Yeah. Because there's no consequence. Right. Like I told you earlier on social media, it doesn't have to be true. You just have to say it enough time mm -hmm. and have enough people agree with you and you can float it however you want. Yeah. So, I mean, it's really, it's really sad that, they have a platform in which they can do that because I'm sure they've done it with other cases that they've covered. Yeah. But I mean, I've had years to digest this kind of crap. And, you know, at the end of the day, they are, they're the ones that are actually profiting and, you know, mm -hmm. benefiting from spewing garbage on the internet. And there's nothing I really can do about it. Um, all I can do is stand Stand here and continue to say what I've always said and, you know, be truthful and be open and be honest and be transparent. That's been a huge thing for me over the years is it would have been so easy for me to not go on social media and not respond. But I'm not built that way. 
Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not built in a way in which I will just lay down and allow people to just say whatever they want to say about me. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight to defend myself and defend my own honor. But at the same time, you know, I, I do it. I have had to, uh, for the sake of, of not going crazy, I've had to become accustomed to the fact that there's going to be people out there that are going to say mean, awful, horrible things. And at the end of the day, there's nothing that I can do about it. And so I, I just throw those idiots in another category, in the same category. They have the platform. I don't. They have the audience. I don't. And but I also find it funny that people like that never reach out to me. You know, if you have these speculations, why not address them with me directly? Yeah, you're not a hard person to get a hold of. No. No. And the, and the main reason that I've been that way is because transparency and honesty have always been, you know, my number one strategy throughout this whole thing. I have faith that. What I have to say and the way that I say it resonates with people. I have faith in the fact I, I believe in God and I don't think that God would put me in this situation if I could not handle it. And I think that I'm built the way that I am for a purpose. Yeah. And this is, this is part of it, you know? And And I think with that, I could sit here and ask you a million questions about all this stuff, but you've answered all those questions a million times over and over again. So I think with That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to it. Well, I, I, I will we'll leave with this that that I, I have always had and continue to have the utmost respect for you because you've always been able to come out and be honest and transparent and 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 subject yourself. You didn't know I was gonna ask you when you come on here. You didn't know what you were gonna be asked when you're no. on the stand. But you you were comfortable with your truth and you're willing to defend it. And and I think that deserves a lot of respect. So uh, I very much and I appreciate you taking the time when I know your 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 kids are home and you're trying to juggle everything else. So I appreciate you taking the time to come to open up with us. Not a problem. Um, I wish there was more I could say about it, but. Yeah. um, Those guys are idiots. What's in with that? Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production. All music for the show is created and composed by Shane Yoder at PutThemInASong.com. The font you see on all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com Design Created manages and maintains our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our volunteer transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Courtney Wimberly, Erica Cantor, Melissa Cardenas, Kay Wood-Yomnick, and Danielle Rohr. And as always, thank you to all of you for your engagement and your support. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that in a number of ways. The number one way for you to support our work is to become a patron at patreon.com slash truthandjustice. If you join our Patreon, not only will you be financially supporting our work, but you'll also get something for your pledge. 
for just $5 per month, you'll get all episodes ad-free and also a video version of the Friday follow-ups that include an hour-long pre-show chat exclusive to our patrons. Other levels will get you a Truth and Justice Army t-shirt, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host a Friday follow-up episode. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice to sign up. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. It doesn't cost you a penny, and it goes a long way towards making the show more visible. If you have a case that you'd like us to consider covering, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod, and I can be found on social media at BobRuffTruth. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice.